Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us on IRIS today. This is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 20th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's take a look at today's weather forecast now, this coming from KCRG. Warming trend continues ahead of multiple rain chances, including on Christmas. Even warmer air is moving into eastern Iowa, with a moisture increase leading to at least a handful of rain chances in the coming days. We're starting out quite a bit more pleasant in the area this morning, with air temperatures in the mid to upper 20s and wind chills in the upper 10s at worst. Winds are quite light, if present at all, and should stay light into the rest of the day. Sunshine will also be pretty common this morning, but clouds increase gradually today too. Enjoy the sunlight early on, as we'll have clouds obscuring it for much of the next several days. Highs today head to the mid-40s for most of us, with wind chills perhaps lagging behind in the upper 30s. A cloudy night helps keep the lows from dropping as far, with readings in the low 30s likely. Clouds will similarly keep us from making another leap in temperatures on Thursday for highs, which should be in the low to mid-40s once again. A few isolated showers are possible just about any time during the day on Thursday, but the vast majority of the day will be dry, with many areas missing out on the rainfall. For somewhat better chance for rain arrives on Thursday night into Friday, as a more concentrated area of activity pushes to the northeast through the area. The southeastern half or so of our area is somewhat more favored to see rainfall from this, with only a tenth or two of an inch of rain possible. Saturday looks mostly dry at this point, though clouds should remain pretty widespread across the state. Highs by then will be in the upper 40s to low 50s. As the main area of low pressure with this active weather pattern approaches the state on Saturday into Sunday, Rain becomes more likely across most of our area. A few waves of precipitation look possible at times on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Now turning to the front page of the Courier today, DeSantis chides Trump. Candidate's military service touted at Cedar Rapids VFW event. Story written by Aaron Jordan of the Gazette. Dateline Cedar Rapids. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis spent a large part of his time Tuesday at the VFW Post 788, bashing the front-runner in the Republican presidential race. Former President Donald Trump had criticized Governor Kim Reynolds for endorsing DeSantis before Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucuses on January 15th. Trump's support among likely caucus-goers tops 50%, according to two leading polls. DeSantis is in a distant second place at 19%. Quote, I don't like the fact that Donald Trump has attacked her for supporting me, DeSantis told a crowd of about 60 people. Quote, it's not all about you. It's about a larger mission here. And he's attacking us for selfish reasons. And that is wrong. Unquote. Answering a question about how DeSantis would fill a Supreme Court seat if elected, DeSantis said he would choose someone more conservative than Trump's appointees. Quote, so, if you look at Donald Trump, 
he appointed three justices. I think the justices he appointed are good justices, but if you look at how they've performed, none of them are at the level of Justice Clarence Thomas or Justice Samuel Alito. So the issue is, if you're replacing Clarence Thomas with someone like Justice Barrett Kavanaugh, who's a good judge, that moves the court to the left, unquote. An audience member asked DeSantis what he will do to protect election integrity. The candidate said, Florida has made changes, including putting some limits on third parties collecting and returning mail-in ballots. But he said, Republicans can't cede early voting to Democrats. Quote, Donald Trump told people in 2020, don't ever send in a mail ballot, DeSantis said on Tuesday. Quote, we had elderly people who didn't want to go to the polls because they were concerned about COVID. Why would you tell them not to send in a mail ballot? Unquote. DeSantis also criticized Trump's swing in rhetoric about abortion. Although Trump denounced abortion in 2020, calling every child a gift from God, Trump now has criticized bills like one passed in Iowa, but on hold while in court, that seek to restrict abortion after about six weeks. Quote, Donald Trump has attacked those heartbeat protection bills as terrible, terrible thing. That's what he says, DeSantis said. Quote, Democrats are using his words to weaponize against pro-lifers now. What he did was very, very damaging, unquote. U.S. Representative Chip Roy, a Texas Republican, answered questions alongside DeSantis, trumpeting the candidate's achievements in Florida and DeSantis's military service. Quote, I want someone who can serve for eight years. I want somebody who has delivered on every promise. I want someone who wore the uniform, Roy said. He's going to carry us forward, unquote. Trump has long opposed Roy, who voted against overturning the 2020 election. Following Roy's endorsement of DeSantis, Trump suggested another Republican run against the Texas congressman. Brad Havren, 60, drove from Shellsburg to hear DeSantis speak Tuesday. Havren is leaning toward caucusing for Trump, but wanted to hear more about what DeSantis would do to help the economy. Quote, I'm retired, so the economy is really important to me. I like to see my 401k balance go up, he said. Libby Setter, 19, a student from the University of Northern Iowa, brought her mom, Stephanie, to the DeSantis event after Libby got a text about it on Monday night. Quote, I like to be educated and learn what I'm voting for, Libby Setter said. The Prairie High School graduate wasn't sure what to expect from the political event, her first. Quote, I thought it would be bigger, she said. The VFW hall, with bingo numbers and a Christmas tree in the corner, was full with standing room only for the hour-long event. At least a half-dozen veterans, many wearing baseball caps, noting their military branch, raised their hands when asked about military service. Next, from the Courier's Des Moines Bureau, Governor's Sullivan Brothers Awards bestowed at Capitol. And it begins with a photograph with the caption, Shelby County Sheriff Neil Gross 
and deputies Cody Eccles, Jacob Haas, and William McDaniel are presented with the Sullivan Brothers Award of Valor during a ceremony Monday at the Iowa Capitol Rotunda. Dateline Des Moines. Six Iowans who rescued others from burning buildings were recognized for their courage and selfless acts of bravery Monday at the annual Governor's Life-Saving and Sullivan Brothers Awards Ceremony. Quote, Today, we have the opportunity to express our gratitude for the astonishing courage, Governor Kim Reynolds said at the ceremony held at the Iowa Capitol Rotunda. Caleb Crocker of Guttenberg and Andrew Craig of Cylinder were presented with the Governor's Life-Saving Award. Established in 1977, the award is given to everyday Iowans who perform courageous acts in an attempt to save another person's life or selflessly assist in an emergency situation. Crocker was working the night shift at a group home in Guttenberg for Iowans with disabilities when it caught fire last December. Iowa Public Safety Commissioner Stephen Bayens said Crocker was treated for a smoke inhalation after he rescued residents. Quote, As the home started to fill with smoke, Caleb continually re-entered the home not once, not twice, but five times, and guided, and in some instances, carried the residents to safety. Bayon said, quote, Throughout this ordeal, Caleb remained calm and focused, even though the residents were scared, confused, and didn't really appreciate what was unfolding, unquote. Craig was working at a rural Palo Alto County farm on November 28, 2022, when he got a call from a fellow farmhand who reported seeing smoke coming from the acreage of an elderly neighbor and was asked to go drive by and check it out. Bayens said when Craig arrived, the home was on fire, the door was locked, and he could just make out the faint silhouette of a hand inside the smoke-filled room. Quote, Andrew forced his way in through the locked door, ventured inside the burning home, battled the thick smoke billowing inside, and located the elderly resident lying on the floor, and carried him to safety, Bayon said. The Sullivan's Award. Shelby County Sheriff Neil Gross and Deputies Cody Eccles, Jacob Haas, and William McDaniel were presented with the Sullivan Brothers Award of Valor, which recognizes peace officers and firefighters for heroic acts above and beyond the normal call of duty. The officers were recognized for rescuing a suicidal man on July 12, 2021, who had barricaded himself inside a home in Elkhorn, screwed the door shut from inside, and set the home on fire with the intention to blow up the home. Bayon said as rounds of ammunition started exploding inside the home, the man started pounding on a door asking for help. Quote, In that moment, a decision had to be made. The threat of ambush was real, Bayon said. Quote, Ammunition appeared to be cooking off inside, and the prospect the house may explode was palpable. Nonetheless, these four men decided to bear those risks and attempt to save the occupant, unquote. Led by Eccles, carrying a ballistic shield, the four officers battled their way into the home and saved the man. 
The fire was later extinguished. The award is named in honor of five brothers, all in their twenties, from Waterloo, who perished while serving together on a Navy ship that was sunk in World War II. The brothers, George, Frank, Joe, Madison, and Albert Sullivan, died when two Japanese torpedoes struck their ship. Cedar Falls third grade teacher Kelly Sullivan, the granddaughter of Albert Sullivan, attended the ceremony in the Capitol Rotunda. Governor Kim Reynolds on Monday announced the appointment of James Johnson of Gravity in southwest Iowa to serve as the next superintendent of banking in the Iowa Department of Insurance and Financial Services beginning on January 1st. Johnson currently serves as the president and CEO of PCSB Bank, a family-owned community bank in Clorinda. He has also served on the board of the Iowa Bankers Association, where he chaired the group's agriculture committee. Johnson graduated from Northwest Missouri State College with a bachelor's degree in agricultural business and from the Graduate School of Banking at the University of Colorado Boulder, according to a news release from the governor's office. Johnson, whose appointment is subject to confirmation by the Iowa Senate, will replace Jeff Plague, who has announced that he will retire at the end of the year. Plague has served as superintendent of banking since September 2019. College Savings Website State Treasurer Roby Smith announced the launch of a newly redesigned collegesavingsiowa.com. Visitors are encouraged to explore the website to discover information about College Savings Iowa, including investment options, tax benefits, qualified withdrawals, and the benefits of saving for education. The College Savings Iowa 529 plan is a tax-advantaged way for Iowa families to save for tuition, room and board, computers, textbooks, and other qualified education expenses at an eligible higher education institution in the U.S. or abroad. Additionally, up to $10,000 per year per student can be withdrawn to pay for tuition expenses in connection with enrollment at a K-12 institution. Smith also encourages Iowans to sign up before December 31st for a College Savings Iowa year-end giveaway, where two winners will receive a 5290 College Savings Iowa account contribution. Visit iowa29contest.com for the official rules and to register. Blood Drive to be held in Cedar Falls. LifeServe Blood Center is holding a blood drive in Cedar Falls. The event is from 12.30 to 6 o'clock p.m. on December 26th at the First United Methodist Church at 718 Clay Street. You can schedule an appointment online at lifeservebloodcenter.org or you may call 800-287-4903. Next, Cedar Falls outgoing elected officials, including longtime councilwoman, are recognized. The story written by Andy Malone. Dateline Cedar Falls. Four outgoing elected officials in Cedar Falls will take with them a combined 
35 years of service, Ward 2 Council Member Susan DeBurr, who served 20 years, noted after a public reception Monday how, quote, you don't realize how many people you've worked with until you see some of them in the same room. One was retired public works director Bruce Sorensen. Quote, you see great people who are replaced by other great people, DeBurr said. DeBurr, along with Mayor Rob Green and Council Member Simon Harding, received recognitions at their last regularly scheduled council meeting. Thirty-five is, coincidentally, the number of years Jackie Danielson, the recently retired clerk, served as city employee. She represents a fifth person who will be gone in 2024. Ward 2 will see a shift in representation for only the third time in nearly 50 years. Late longtime council member Elaine Falsgraf, 24 years of service, began in 1980. That's now the southwestern portion of the city, west of the Iowa Highway 58 corridor and South Main Street and south of Searley Boulevard. DeBurr, a small business owner, state trooper, and property and casualty claims adjuster, took over the seat in 2004. She spoke of all the people she's worked with, noting that they deserved credit. That includes Staple, Jennifer Rodenbeck, Finance and Business Operations Director, who's been with the city since DeBurr's first term began. Quote, when I first ran, my little boys, Nicholas and Neil, were in grade school. They handed out flyers for me, said DeBurr. The last time I ran, one of their little girls, she handed out flyers. Thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve, unquote. DeBurr's husband, David, said she's always put everybody first, even with the uglier issues, unquote. Those included selecting the location of the Falls Aquatic Center on South Main Street at the beginning of her tenure, and later the controversy surrounding the public safety officer model. Quote, she never played favorites and always dealt with the facts, he added. DeBurr credited a pair of late council members with her decision to seek office. Quote, Stan Smith talked me into it and suggested I run, said DeBurr. He's a hard guy to say no to. She also credited Barbara Brown. Rosemary Beach, a former recipient of the city's Representative Citizen Award, said the next few years will bring different ages and attitude. Three of the four newly elected officials are in their 30s. Quote, Susan will be doing it as long as she has been. She has all the background, said Beach also a former executive director of the Historical Society. Quote, that makes a difference. You're the person who remembers when this happened or that, unquote. Former council member Tom Haggerty called DeBurr very honest and sincere and a calm, collected advisor. Quote, once she told me that when I take the stand on an issue to remember that there were three readings on every issue, and if I remained as the Lone Ranger after the third reading, stand proud, hold my ground, and things would work out. And they usually did, Haggerty wrote in an email ahead of the event. Harding served one four-year term, while Green served two terms, 
that were each two years in their respective roles. The mayor also served as an at-large council member in 2018 and 2019. Harding, who was also appointed mayor pro tempore, admitted he, quote, can't really hold a candle to Susan because of all the service she's done before thanking the city's workers and reflecting on why he ran. Quote, I never thought I would be on a city council, Harding said. I'm just a saxophone player. But someone asked my wife, Genevieve, to run four years ago, and she said, absolutely not. But I know a guy that talks a lot who could do it, unquote. Quote, so she talked me into it, and man, the stuff I learned these four years and the people I've met, it's been an incredible, and it's bittersweet for me to step out, unquote. Council member Dave Sires, who's wrapping up his lone four-year term, did not attend, but is hosting his own public reception, potentially with another special announcement at 5 p.m. January 6th at the AMVETS Post 49 at 1934 Irving Street. Quote, It's pretty admirable, said Police Chief Mark Howard, of the four public servants giving their time. Quote, They present what they hear, sit down, and work with each other, and have to make decisions. Unquote. Quote, I'm sure there have been lots of ups and downs, added Fire Chief John Zolendek, who presented DeBurr with a Fire Department challenge coin prior to the reception. Now, in college women's basketball, you and I, win or lose, looking for defensive improvement at Iowa State. Dateline is Cedar Falls. And story written by Jim Nelson. In 17 seasons, working side-by-side on the Northern Iowa bench, head coach Tanya Warren and associated head coach Brad Nelson have experienced a lot of winning times. That is what has made the start of the 2023-24 season an anomaly for Warren and Nelson, a combination of injuries and a schedule that is ranked the fourth toughest in the nation, behind only Connecticut, South Carolina, and Maryland, has seen the Panthers lose seven straight games since opening the season with an impressive win over Wisconsin Green Bay. Currently, the Missouri Valley Conference preseason favorite is searching for answers to turn their season around. Quote, probably don't want to be in similar category with those schools in regard to strength of schedule, said Nelson Monday. Quote, I'm the guy who put the schedule together, so I'm going to say no comment. Right now, you and I's coaching staff is preaching patience. There are plenty of reasons to believe the Panthers can turn this season around. Yes, the one in seven start is the worst since you and I opened the 2014 15 season at one in six. But in 17 seasons, Warren has had just two losing seasons, her first two in 2007 and 2008. The Panthers have had a losing start prior to January 1st, five of the last nine seasons, and in four of those five seasons, saw you and I finish four games or better above 500, with the lone exception of 2014 15 
where they won 17 and lost 15. Quote, as Coach Warren talks about a lot, when you have to go through tough times and adversity, hopefully that teaches you to appreciate the good times, Nelson said. We have been very spoiled over the years with winning a lot of basketball games. This is a new spot for us as both coaches and players. We have to stay patient, unquote. Winning would cure a lot that ails the Panthers. Tonight, you and I will get a crack at getting back in the winning column when it travels south to face in-state rival Iowa State at Hilton Coliseum in a 6 p.m. tip-off. The game will air on ESPN+. Quote, We are going to have to win a basketball game to really get that confidence and believe in what we have been putting the work in for, Nelson said. It doesn't get any easier going down to Hilton. They have done a really nice job with their young team, getting better each week. It's going to be quite a challenge, and they got their senior Emily Ryan back yesterday. The Cyclones are coming off a 105-68 to win over Troy, where two of their top three scorers were freshmen, Audie Crooks and Addie Brown. The challenge Iowa State presents offensively gives you and I the most concern. The Panthers have not played since a 78-59 to loss to South Dakota State on December 9th but defense was a focal point during the time off. Quote, obviously, it was a different type of week coming off no games, Nelson said. But in all honesty, I think it was a good time for us not to have a game. Quote, with finals and then just getting back to practicing and improving, as coaches we've changed things up to what we have done in practice, and our kids have responded well. That's a good sign, unquote. Among the things the Panthers concentrate on most in the 11 days since they last played is communication on the defensive end and rebounding. Without center Grace Buffelli, the last two games, Nelson said UNI's rebounding has been atrocious, and the team's ability to guard the basketball and communicate on the defensive end has been really poor. Quote, we really put an emphasis on guarding the ball, being more physical, Nelson said. We've seen some growth with that. Now we have to see that against Iowa State. It does you no good if you can see it in practice and you can't carry it over into a game. Quote, we need to see some carryover from last week, win or lose, unquote. The Panthers could be without Buffelli and her 13.7 points and 6.5 rebounds a game again Wednesday, with Nelson saying her status to play against the Cyclones is up in the air. Quote, Wednesday, hopefully our kids can execute the game play, Nelson said. We are going to have to hit shots because Iowa State can score, and we are going to have to shoot the basketball better than we have, unquote. Cedar Falls School's Tiger Performance Center reaches fundraising milestone, story written by Angela Sturm McLaughlin of the Courier Staff. Dateline Cedar Falls, an athletic facility planned at the new high school, is reaching a big fundraising milestone that will allow for the first phase of construction 
to move forward. The Tiger Performance Center, which will be totally funded by private donations, is a proposed addition to the Cedar Falls High School, being built in the 2700 block of West 27th Street. The center has anticipated price tag of $8 million to $9 million. Quote, Considering our current donations, pledges, and pending verbal commitments, we expect to reach or exceed $5 million by the end of this year. Lindsay Cota, a member of the Performance Center's fundraising committee, told the Board of Education last week, quote, We hope that in January, the school board will consider taking the Shields Tiger Performance Center to bid. Fundraisers needed to hit the initial goal so the board could seek bids for the building shell, not including all the interior construction. Fargo, North Dakota-based Shield Sporting Goods, which has a Cedar Falls location, donated $1 million to the project last year. Martin Brothers Distributing of Cedar Falls was the project's other large donor at $750,000. The 42,800-square-foot facility would include a 200-meter indoor track, two full-sized courts, and an indoor turf. Coda said it was also important to make the announcement during the meeting as Joyce Coyle, a key member of our community, leaves the school board. Coyle was appointed to serve the term of a, of a board member who moved out of state until the next election. She didn't run November 7th and stepped down later in the meeting as new members were sworn in. Quote, Joyce Coyle is responsible for assembling this group, said Coda. She noted, quote, We started our kickoff event in March of 2022 and are proud to say that we hit our $5 million goal in 20 months due to her guidance and leadership. Thank you so much for your time, energy, and commitment to Cedar Falls Schools, unquote. Coyle had praise for the rest of the committee members as well. Quote, they really took this and ran with it, she said, and they are passionate and committed to the very end. And they know this is just the first phase. But I can't say enough about this group of individuals. Quote, they care about the community, they care about the kids, and they care about the school district. And they have given their heart and soul raising money for our new Tiger Performance Center, unquote. Coyle has served 26 years on the board, not all in consecutive terms. Jeff Hassman and Susie Hines were also in their last meeting as board members because they did not run for a new term. Both have served eight years. Quote, we want to thank Jeff, Joyce, and Susie for their time on the board, said Cedar Falls Community Schools Superintendent Andy Pate. They had collectively over 40 years between them, serving the district and the students of Cedar Falls. The five winners of the election were sworn in and seated after the departing members were honored. Those include Nate Gruber and Jenny Leeper, who were re-elected, Jeff Orvis, who served previously but wasn't currently on the board, and newcomers Brett Peterson and Megan Witt. Leeper ran to complete the last two years of the term Coyle had been serving. The others were elected to four-year terms. Lowell Stutzman was elected by fellow board members as president. 
the position Hassman has held, and Leeper was re-elected as vice president. And now, listeners, we'd like to just take a moment and remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 20th on IRIS, I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, let's listen to this announcement. If you're struggling with your mental health, there's something Your Life Iowa wants you to know. It's all right to feel sad, to be angry, to feel depressed, to be anxious, to feel lonely. Something else that's definitely all right? Getting help for your mental health. When you're ready, Your Life Iowa is here for you 24-7. Find support at yourlifeiowa.org. Together, we can make everything all right. Brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. And now, let's turn to the opinion section. Our first editorial comes from the New York Times, written by Catherine Miller, the resolute Liz Cheney. There's a scene in Liz Cheney's new memoir, Oath and Honor, where she was still in Congress. She walks through the Capitol and into the Republican cloakroom, enters a phone booth, closes the door, and calls Mitch McConnell. There aren't so many people who can just call up Mr. McConnell, nor was this quite standard procedure on Capitol Hill, but, as she writes, quote, I had known Mitch McConnell for decades, unquote. In 2023, a lot separates Ms. Cheney from the average Republican politician, but reading her memoir, it's clear how unusual her position was in late 2020. A true insider who was also listening to and believing what was going on with Donald Trump and the conservative base. That combination seems to have inspired her, turning every key available to stave off Mr. Trump's efforts to subvert the outcome of the election and inspired her overpowering anger toward Kevin McCarthy. This is someone who knows Secret Service agents personally, who texted late at night with Paul Ryan about the state of Mike Pence's mind, whose husband, Philip Perry, is so well acquainted with the former acting U.S. Attorney General Jeff Rosen that when Mr. Rosen was fending off Jeff Clark's deranged post-election plans at the Justice Department, he called to tell Ms. Cheney and Mr. Perry that Mr. Trump might fire him. How many people besides Ms. Cheney could help organize the writing of a letter emphasizing the importance of a peaceful transfer of power that was signed by every living defense secretary and published on January 3, 2021? And how many people could listen as their father called up Donald Rumsfeld on New Year's Eve and personally read the letter? Unlike a number of people at similar elevations of Republican power, however, she's never thought Mr. Trump would just fade away. That was clear in 2021. And while she's now writing with the benefit of hindsight, part of the reason she clearly understood Mr. Trump was she was actually listening to people at different levels of Republican politics in 2020, a secondary kind of awareness. In her role as conference chair, she heard from members about all manner of things related to Mr. Trump, including Mike Johnson's efforts 
to whip signatures for the amicus brief that challenged states' ability to oversee their own elections. She sat in her kitchen on December 12, 2020, watching a pro-Trump rally in Washington, then played back clips for her husband who said, quote, It sounds like they're advocating the violent overthrow of the government, unquote. She writes repeatedly of exchanges with constituents and donors in the months leading up to January 6th, in which people described conspiracy theories. This kind of enterprising spirit brought about her decision to call Mr. McConnell. Before reaching him, she had dialed into a conference call for Trump supporters to hear what was up. According to Ms. Cheney, who appears to be describing a call not previously reported. A Trump advisor described the alternate elector scheme during that call. Afterward, alarmed, Ms. Cheney writes that she quizzed the House parliamentarian about what would happen if Mr. Pence decided to not count the votes. Alarmed by his answers, she next called Mr. McConnell, who told her to talk to his chief of staff and the Senate parliamentarian. That was January 4th, 2021. Now that part of it ended fine. Mr. Pence counted the votes, but the whole scheme underlines how fragile and chancy things became and, at times, remain. Liz Cheney, in a phone booth, calling up Mitch McConnell because nobody's quite sure what will happen if the vice president doesn't count the electoral votes. There's an echo here in McKay Coppin's recent biography of Mitt Romney, in which he recounts Mr. Romney and other senators asking the police where they should go next while fleeing the mob under the Capitol on January 6th. Quote, the senators know, one of the officers replied. One of Mr. Romney's aides had to tell them, these are the senators. Since January 6th, Ms. Cheney, has emphasized the way that institutions require the people within them to actively make choices rather than passively accept events. Good norms and procedures are meant to guide people toward moral and responsible actions. So no one individual is required to act with any particular heroism. When and how exactly to oppose Mr. Trump has, even for this small group of conservatives who want to do it. Never been entirely obvious, though. Politics can lean toward inaction. Action requires a choice. Mr. Coppins relays a story in his book about Beth Myers, who had worked for Mr. Romney for decades, and whose husband died suddenly around the time of Mr. Romney's election to the Senate. She wanted to persuade Mr. Romney to resist starting his Senate career in the passive background, and instead to challenge Mr. Trump. Quote, I've been in a fog the last month, Ms. Myers wrote to him in an email. Quote, but the desire for sane leadership from you was expressed by so many of the people who've been in contact with me. Unquote. The cost of opposing Mr. Trump, or even being perceived as opposing him, increased over the years. This is the clearest with the people who, through no fault of their own, who end up falling onto the breach with Mr. Trump. Like the election officials and workers in Georgia and Arizona, who became the subject of threats and conspiracy theories, a Georgia poll worker, Ruby Freeman, became afraid of sharing her own name. It's often true, too, 
for the otherwise anonymous people who volunteer to explain how things really were with Mr. Trump. To read the committee interview transcripts with Cassidy Hutchinson is to feel how isolated her life became. But even for the people like Mr. Romney and Ms. Cheney, who possess financial and political resources beyond those of many, their lives, according to these accounts, are now sometimes filled with panicked calls to and from family members about security. Far beyond losing the kind of power that Ms. Cheney gave up, seemingly to prove how worthless it was compared with establishing a real record of what happened on January 6th, some people who have opposed Mr. Trump have absorbed costs into their quality of life. We live in a dangerous world, fragile and chancy. The deluded man who hit Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer managed to enter the Pelosi's home, possibly only because House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's full-time security detail was with her in Washington. There are millions of seams in life. Thinking about reinforcing all of them would drive a person crazy. On January 6th, watching TV, Dick Cheney, the former vice president, called his daughter and asked if she were watching Mr. Trump speak at the Ellipse. He then told her that Mr. Trump had said it was time to get rid of the Liz Cheneys of the world. Quote, you are in danger, he warned her. Ms. Cheney is, correctly, concerned about who will and will not be there if Mr. Trump regains power to cut off his worst impulses and preserve the structure of constitutional government. We have an editorial from the Storm Lake Times Pilot, written by editor Art Cullen. More border talk. A group of senators is attempting to negotiate a bipartisan border security bill with the White House as part of a larger effort to fund wars in Ukraine and the Middle East. House Republicans insist that hardening the border must be included in any package, including one to keep the government open. Senate Democrats in difficult re-election campaigns like John Tester of Montana and Sherrod Brown of Ohio are open in order to get the crisis off the table for 2024. Arizona is a key swing state for presidential and Senate. It is more likely than not to fall by the wayside like countless other efforts at immigration reform. The Senate is able to compromise, but the House derails practical solutions. For example, Democrats want to legalize streamers, undocumented immigrants brought here as children by their parents, and make them citizens. House Republicans refuse despite tremendous support from the public for dreamers. They want to talk about security only. So it goes, and so it has gone for decades. Each side preserves something to use as a foil in the next election. The difference this time may be that the House leadership is so extreme on this issue that it will shut down the government over it, or abandon Ukraine. The bipartisan group of senators is looking at changing asylum rules to make it more difficult for refugees to find freedom here. Whatever is done in haste and panic will not be good for anyone. Immigration is too complicated and sensitive an issue to think we can solve it on the precipice of a government shutdown. To leave dreamers out of the discussion demonstrates how unserious the House is about governing 
Climate is driving a worldwide refugee crisis. Corruption, poverty, and violence are endemic in Latin America, much of it fostered by drug demand in the United States. We helped create many of the inequities by supporting Banana Republic dictatorships over long periods. All that cannot get sorted through in an omnibus spending package intended to defend Israel and Ukraine. It sounds as if the senators would allow a rewrite on human rights to satisfy their immediate political problems. At that point, we look more like Ecuador and less like the land of the free. Next, we have an editorial which first appeared in the Storm Lake Times pilot. The title is Fob Foibles, Plague We of the Tech-Challenged Persuasion. This was written by Dick Hayes of the Iowa City Press Citizen, and it begins with a photograph showing Vernon Rollins of North Liberty, a familiar friendly face at the Coralville Costco, as he displays the columnist's key fob, which resulted in a recent clogged line at the store's gas pumps. I love my 2014 Camry because it is uncomplicated and starts with a mechanical key. My wife's newer Fusion starts with an electronic key fob. The problem with the Fusion is, if you drop your wife off at Kohl's and drive to Costco for gas while she shops, you don't want the only fob to the car to be in her purse at Kohl's when you shut off your car to fill up in the busy Costco gas line. Because, duh, you can't restart the car without the fob. So, here I am at the Costco pumps, agonizing for clogging up a long line of frustrated drivers waiting behind me, blatantly advertising my incompetence to the world, while cordial attendant Vernon agrees to drive over and pick up my wife at Cole's and retrieve the fob. Bless you, Vernon. But alas, my retired undertaker buddy, Greg Fratsky of Storm Lake, recently topped my fob disaster story with one of his own from the summer. Craig and his wife Nancy have a friend named Marty Strait, who drove to Storm Lake from her Texas home for a two-day visit with the Fratskys en route to her northern home in Michigan. Quote, She's one amazing 95-year-old ward warrior, said Craig. Marty is extremely energetic, sharp as a tack, and has no qualms loading her beloved rescue dog trip into her 2019 GMC terrain for a 1,600-mile journey. Because he is obsessively Iowa nice, Craig got up early on the day Marty was to head back to Michigan, loaded a cooler with her favorite snacks and drinks and plenty of water for trip, backed out her car, and fired up the A.C. It was one of our blistering Iowa heat dome days. When the Fratskys in pajamas hugged Marty goodbye and watched her drive off, sometime later, Craig discovered Marty's key fob in his pajama pocket. Quote, I am immediately in full-blown panic, he told me. He had visions of their dear 95-year-old friend stopping along the way and locked out of her car with her precious canine companion inside in the heat, both of them stranded. Did she have an extra fob in the car? No answer from Marty, because she always turns off her cell phone while driving. Craig drummed in his car like Batman to give chase. On the way, he contacted his son Darren, a retired Iowa State Patrol captain, 
who advised him to call the Buena Vista County Communications Center, which immediately issued a statewide bolo, beyond the lookout, on Marty. Craig said what followed might have passed for a Three Stooges movie. There he was, frantically racing through northwest Iowa on Highway 20, unkempt in his Iowa Hawkeye pajamas, with no billfold and now running out of gas near Fort Dodge, and getting refused at gas stations because he had no cash or credit card. Finally, a kindly Quickstar employee named Lewis pulled a $20 bill from his own wallet, stuffed it in the cash drawer, and arranged for $20 in gas on pump number one, where Craig was parked. Quote, I was overwhelmed with gratitude, Craig said. Back on the road, he stopped at the Iowa State Patrol District 7 office to check on the bolo and found about 30 people there learning about dispatching. According to Craig, they were treated to the sight of an old, half-deaf guy in pajamas frantically explaining this complicated fob story to the staff. Lieutenant Aaron Smith got involved, recognized Craig's last name, and pointed out that Craig's son, Darren, was his drill instructor when he was at the academy for trooper training. Quote, I wasn't sure if that were a bad thing or a good thing, Craig quipped. Turns out it was good. OnStar would help, Lieutenant Smith said. They needed Martin's VIN number, which Craig finally pinned down through the state farm. OnStar then tracked Marty to a truck stop, then a GMC dealership in Cedar Falls. The nearest state troopers personally checked both spots, but no Marty. The fiasco finally ended when OnStar was able to link a state patrol dispatcher directly through to Marty in her car through her radio. She was fine, of course, and did in fact have an extra key fob for her because, quote, I always pin it to the inside of my jeans pocket when I travel, unquote. We said the woman was sharp. Next, from the Des Moines Register, Norman Lear made a film in Iowa, pushed for social change, and touched this Iowan's life. This was written by Julie Gamick. And here's a note about Julie Gamick. She is a former Des Moines Register columnist and business coach who lives in Des Moines with her husband, Richard Gilbert. Norman Lear was a guest in our family home on more than one occasion when he and his crew were filming Cold Turkey. It was 1970, and the film location was set in Greenfield. My dad was a columnist for the Des Moines Tribune and wrote about Lear, Dick Van Dyke, and others involved in the production. As a 20-year-old budding feminist, I recall being seated next to Lear on the pink-covered, overstuffed sofa in my parents' living room, where I challenged him on women's rights issues. Oh boy, do I wish I could remember what he said. I do recall the twinkle in his eye during our dialogue, or rather, my rant. A year later, 13 of us college kids took off in a school bus retrofitted by fellow student John Schuler, and we spent a month traveling the western United States, visiting people and organizations involved in social change. Miraculously, we earned college credit for the adventure. Our travels included meeting Cesar Chavez during the Lettuce Boycott and Big Sur's Ellislin Institute, and we visited communes in California. We also made a stop to visit Norman Lear in his Burbank office, 
where he spotted me fifty dollars, which my father repaid him. There we were, a gaggle of college students, plus my dog Krishna, a collie, German shepherd, beagle mix, talking with Norman Lear about social change. Lear was an American speechwriter and producer who wrote, created, or had a hand in over 100 shows, including groundbreaking and edgy All in the Family, Maud, Sanford and Son, One Day at a Time, and The Jeffersons. Lear kept in touch with several Iowans through the years. Author and poet Jim Autry served with him on the board of People for the American Way. Des Moines Clothier, Bill Reichardt and his wife Sue, kept in touch with Lear. Reichardt had a small role in Cold Turkey. In the early 1980s, I had a weekly TV show on a local access cable television channel. I'd be surprised if the audience reached 100 viewers, but it was good practice. I had a horrible fear of public speaking and asked a television director for WHO-TV at the time to help me to combat my nervousness. His advice? When the red light of the camera comes on, just remind myself no one is watching. I knew Bill Reichardt's 50th birthday was coming up, so I invited him to come on my show and talk about his life. Unbeknownst to him, I reached out to Norman Lear and asked him to make an unannounced surprise appearance on the show. There we were, in the midst of our conversation about the clothing business in Des Moines, when I told Bill we had a little surprise for him for his birthday. Out strolled Norman Lear who had come to Des Moines to attend Reichardt's birthday party as a surprise. Oh, how I wish I had a tape of that show. Norman Lear died surrounded by family at the age of 101. What a legacy. What a giver. What a citizen. He touched millions of lives, mine being just one. Next is an editorial written by Paul Krugman, which appeared in the New York Times, titled, Watch what people do, not what they say about the economy. Have you heard that there's a huge wave of organized shoplifting, coordinated theft by groups effectively looting stores, sweeping the United States? You probably have. A couple of years ago, Walgreens said that organized shoplifting was behind its decision to close several locations in San Francisco. In April, the National Retail Federation issued a dire report claiming that, quote, organized retail crime was responsible for almost half of the store merchandise that vanished in 2021. The putative shoplifting tsunami has been relentlessly hyped both by the usual suspects, such as Fox News, and by some politicians. But it never happened. My guess is that most readers didn't notice the Retail Federation's recent retraction of its April claims. Probably even fewer people noticed when the San Francisco Chronicle examined police records and found that they didn't support Walgreens' assertions. Quote, Maybe we cried too much, the company's chief financial officer told investors earlier this year. Data on shoplifting are flaky, depending a lot on retailers' own reports. Was there really a surge in New York City? while shoplifting declined in the rest of the country? Maybe. What is clear is that the narrative of licentious mobs sweeping through America's stores 
wasn't a depiction of reality. It was basically conjured out of some dubious data and a handful of videos. Regular readers will have guessed that I'm going to draw some parallels with the economic perceptions. The parallels are, in fact, striking. Although on crime, the gap between public perception and data goes back much further. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 20th. We'd like to remind you that you can listen to a recording of this reading of the Courier or those of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just go to our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <music>